Mission Chats with John Crow. Welcome back to Mission Chats. I'm excited to introduce you to Doug, and he is a friend of my parents, actually, uh, from at least 30 years ago, connected way back when in uh, in the Ivory Coast or Côte d'Ivoire. So, Doug, as we get going here, I'm going to start off as I usually do. Just love for you to share with our audience uh, your story, just your your own personal testimony and faith journey, but also uh, how the Lord led you into mission work. Sure. John, it's nice to connect with you, and the world is certainly small. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I knew your parents back in the 1980s, never would I have imagined that their son would actually living only a couple of hours away from me right. here in South Carolina. Now, I grew up in California and had nice parents. They were hardworking. They taught us to do the same and to be honest, but they had very little interest in spiritual things, such that by the age of 20, I had gone to church about four times in my life. For each of the four years, I went to Boy Scout summer camp. And by the time I was in college, though, you know, I had the usual pursuits of trying to get good grades, and I certainly loved to bicycle. Um, but I began to wonder, what is truth with the capital T? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really looking for God. And the Gideons were on campus handing out their pocket New Testaments, and I decided to pick one up and began to read it. Mm-hmm. Now, you realize the Gideon New Testament includes the 27 books plus Psalms and Proverbs. Right. So at that point in my life, I believe that the Bible started with Matthew and ended with Proverbs. Right. (laughs) I was very impressed when I read Sermon on the Mount, but I did not understand why Mark, uh, Luke, or John said the same thing that Matthew did. Mm. But by the time I got through reading at least half of it, um, I had become a praying agnostic. Mm. I would pray to a God that I didn't quite believe or understand or know, but I began talking to him. Okay. And at this time, around 1975, the newspapers were publishing stories about starving people in Africa. And I was an agricultural major in college. So I pray to God and say, you know, Lord, when I finish up my undergraduate studies here in California, I would like to go to Purdue University in Indiana so I could further my studies in farm management and go to Africa and help people grow more food. Wow. And I applied to different graduate schools, and Purdue was the one that accepted me. Uh, that included uh, some scholarship funds with it. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited. So in August of 1976, I was heading off to Indiana. And as I traveled across, I had been thinking a great deal of what I had read about. And I came to a motel in Abilene, Kansas, almost the very center of the U.S. And that night, I read the sinner's prayer in the back of the Gideon Bible. Hmm. And it included Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I took that verse at face value. I repeated it. I confessed it to God. And while I welcome and fellowship with brothers and sisters from all gospel-centric confessions, and although I'm not charismatic, I had a very charismatic-like experience that day and very much felt God's presence in my life. So I know that August 13th, 1976 was the day I became born again. 
Now, the strange thing of that is I didn't know what it meant for Jesus to be Lord. Okay. I was a college graduate, and I didn't know the meaning of the word resurrection. So I didn't fully understand that he was raised from the dead or what the implications of that. And I certainly didn't know what it meant to be saved. But I just knew that Jesus was in my life, and that was enough. So I arrived at Purdue, a two-day-old baby Christian. Right. And a number of fellow students were Christians, and they invited me to join in their weekly prayer group in the classroom. And so I did. I found a church and joined that. And about a month into my arrival at Purdue, we were asked to find our major professor with whom we would be writing our master's thesis. I asked a fellow student what she was going to do, and he explained to me that she was going to Africa to do a research project. And my jaw nearly hit the ground because I was not aware of that before I came to Purdue. So I switched out of our U.S. farm management and asked to go into that international program. And the following year, I found myself in Senegal, West Africa, doing my master's research on the peanut basin as cereal production. And my whole first year as a Christian, you could say I was a born-again stillbirth Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't really tell many people that I had just become a Christian. And uh, it was while I was in Senegal that I met some missionaries, and they must have figured out I was a pretty young Christian, but they would stop off at the research station and uh, leave me with some missionary biographies. Okay. And by reading those biographies, um, especially one called Peace Child Mm. uh, by Don Richardson, Mm -hmm. I came to understand what the death and resurrection of Jesus meant to me and to everyone else who accepted him. So I got back to Purdue on fire for the Lord and with a love of Africa in my heart. And I continued my studies until the day came when my program was completed and I wanted to get back to Africa. So in expressing a desire to God that I wanted to go to Africa, he turned that into a call. Hmm. And so in 1982, I found myself on a plane to Abidjan, Ivory Coast, where I had my first job as a junior economist with USAID that has a series of agricultural projects around West Africa. Mm-hmm. When I arrived, I looked around for a, a, an Ivorian church, and of course, there were plenty of them. There was one that happened to be attached to a university. So I got involved with the uh, the college students there, and I got involved with the Gideon ministry in Ivory Coast, mm-hmm. and had the best time of my life, my first few years out of school as a young professional and as a as a Christian living in a foreign country. Wow, awesome! So one little side question then: Where did you pick up French along that journey? Ah. Uh, I had a miserable time learning French in high school. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I learned it there initially. And then in my six months, the time spent doing research in Senegal, I had another miserable six months relearning it. (laughs) Okay. Then as I was going to be offered this job in uh, in Cote d'Ivoire, Purdue set me up with some French lessons. And as a gift to myself, before I started, I took a a six-week tour through Europe. Spent most of my time in French-speaking Switzerland and France. By the time I got to Cote d'Ivoire, there was just enough there to get me going. Very good. Now, I've heard a little bit of the story beyond there, but I'd love for you to share with our audience just kind of where it went from there. Well, as my contract with AID and Purdue was coming to an end, uh, I had decided that I wanted to get some missionary theological training. So I applied to go to to a seminary back in the U.S. Okay. 
I was uh, accepted at Talbot Seminary in California, which is associated with Biola. And Biola offered me a position to teach part-time economics in their business department. So I spent two years there. And during my time in Cote d'Ivoire, my work took me to nearly a dozen African countries, Mm. including the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm -hmm. And while I was in the DRC uh, in Kinshasa, I met a missionary who explained to me uh, his mission and how he was developing a school to set up departments of evangelism for African denominations so that one person could work with all the churches and mobilize you know, their denomination for outreach. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in touch. So while I was back at Biola, I received a letter from him inviting me to join his mission uh, the following year. So after two years at Talbot, um, I found myself heading towards Kinshasa. And I filled in for a year. And, and this was a unique uh, school of evangelism because it just didn't teach people to become evangelists but it taught them how to administer a department of evangelism. We had rural evangelism strategies, urban evangelism strategies, history of missions, how to be an administrator, just a, a variety of courses so that at the end of this year, these experienced pastors were able to go back to their denominations as heads of department of evangelism. Hmm. Now, you, you can imagine, I felt, uh, who was I to teach these people? Right, sure. Um, But I had the course content, I had the outlines, I did the best I could. As things would have it, at the end of the year, after much prayer and consideration, even though it was a great program, I felt that it was not my time to continue with them. Okay. And I resumed a position with USAID in Kinshasa, working on agricultural projects for that country. And at the same time, I went back to serving as a tent maker. So I taught in a Bible institute in the evening, and I worked with a military chaplain to reach out to six or seven military camps around the city. Mm-hmm. And at that time, DRC was going through a lot of turbulence, and AID said, look, we're not going to continue the project that you guys are on, and better find another job. Right. So uh, as the Lord would have it and his uh, circumstances have it, my next door neighbor in Kinshasa had a son who was working at the African Development Bank back in Amijan. Hmm. We got to talking and he said, you know, we have all sorts of vacancies for agricultural uh, project economists. Why don't you apply to the ADB? <laughs> so I applied for the job. I prayed about it. I was invited to come up for an interview. And as I was going, I'm not sure I really want to continue working in agriculture. And here is a sign that I would like that you would confirm that I'm to come back to Abidjan, that during this interview, I would be offered a job other than the one I'm interviewing for. Okay. So after I was done with my interview, at the end of the day, they called me up and said, Doug, we really liked you. We want to hire you. But during the interview, you said that you would be interested in other positions in the bank. Can you come back tomorrow and maybe we can find something that can fit for you? So <laughs> praise God, like a hand in a glove, it just, it, just, mm-hmm. it just all fit. Yeah. And that's how I started launching really a ministry as a tent maker. Mm-hmm. I felt that my time at the school in Kinshasa taught me some things from a missionary perspective for, for one year. But at the same time, Lausanne II in the Philippines had taken place. Okay. The delegates went to Manila, and as they came back, they were charged with setting up committees to do unreached people research in their home countries. Mm. 
So uh, myself and a few other church leaders, missionaries, formed a committee to do unreached people research in Cote d'Ivoire. And I ended up facilitating the chapter for Ivory Coast for Operation World um, a couple of times. And with that research committee, we were able to obtain census data from the Ivorian government Mm. that broke down the number of people by tribal group, by district, by religion for the entire country. So we were able to do a graphical analysis and make a map and show the the Mandate people were 98% non-Christian. Mm-hmm. And the Southern people, many of them, their tribes were 98% Christian, nominal or active. Right. And we needed to send some people from the South to the North. And with that kind of information, we were able to go to churches and say, hey, perhaps the Church of Cote d'Ivoire would like to start a missions movement mm. and reach out to their fellow Ivorians who don't know the Lord. Right. So my ministry focus at the time was mm. unreached people research. The next step in the journey is I got connected through a Gideon connection with someone in Mali who also happened to work for World Vision. Okay. And out of that came an invitation to work with the World Vision office in Dakar. God so arranged things that I was able to take a two-year leave of absence. I left Abidjan in January of 96, and I spent uh, two years there as their regional program director. And in the process, met my wife. All right. (laughs) I was wondering Uh, where she came into the story. That's great. um, I had gone up to Dakar earlier for the AD 2000 and beyond movement. And they were planning the global conference on world evangelization in Seoul, Korea. So in in 94, I went up, my Senegalese church friends put me in the SIL or Wycliffe Mm -hmm. guest house. Okay. And the next day at at coffee break, I met this young lady and we, we barely said hello to each other. That the end of that day on my way back, I said, well, that was a nice girl. You know, if she's in, maybe she'll like to go to dinner. Right. <laughs> I got in and the office was totally closed down and okay. walked around down the corridors to the guest rooms. And there she was in her office typing away. So I asked her out for dinner and, you know, that was the beginning of the story right. on that yeah. part. That's awesome. After two years, we went back to Cote d'Ivoire um, and then civil war broke out in Cote d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had to evacuate right. in 2002. By then, we had twin daughters, okay, and my wife went back to the States uh, with them. I stayed on until February of 2003 when we were asked to evacuate, and then the whole office of the African Development Bank, which I had rejoined after my time at World Vision, moved up to Tunisia. Okay. So over the 30-year period, collectively, I spent about 13 years in Cote d'Ivoire, two and a half years in Senegal, four or five years in ERC and 10 years in, in Tunisia. So in, in 2013, my wife had to come back for her parents. Mm-hmm. My youngest child had some educational needs and I was I was burned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been almost 10 years now since we came back to the U.S. Okay. But I, I like to say everybody lives out their own book of Acts. And, and my book of Acts started, you could say, even after my visit to Senegal in 77, my book of Acts went from 1982 to 2013. 
Mm-hmm. And God allowed me to participate in his ministry. Right. I didn't always do it perfectly. There were times I was lonely. I'm certainly glad when I got married, but it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thank him for it. So currently, uh, the last several years, I have taught online business and economic classes for California Baptist University. And my wife's family owns a trailer park. And it's quite a change to go from being an international banker to a trailer park manager. Right. <laughs> um, but I did it. And yep. it requires some missionary skills. Sure. It's a very cross-cultural, very diverse neighborhood. Right. And I'm on the board of a couple of missions mm-hmm. um, and, and provide what advice I can there. Yeah. So Fantastic. So that's, that's that, kind of my journey up yeah. until now. Thanks so much for listening to this first episode of my conversation with Doug. And I hope you found it interesting to hear a little bit of his journey over 30 years in West Africa and how he was able to use some of his skills to further the kingdom in that part of the world. Tune in next time to get the rest of the chat with Doug. Find us online at missionchats.com.